Blog Talk Radio. It's already done. It's the Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast with host Tyra Little. We're live Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This show deals with personal and community issues by getting to the root cause and causes on an open and raw level. We're unpacking emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical topics that influence and often control us. Get ready to unload, examine, and process. Let's get unpacked on Never Handed So Good Sports Media Network, Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Well, hello, and welcome to Pressure Points Unpacked Podcast. I'm your host, Tyra Little. And this month, as we know, it is March and it's Women's History Month. So all month long, we're going to be doing a series that I like to call The Queendom. So today, we have with us, I am so happy to have her on the show today, Ms. Nada Rutherford. Ms. Nada Rutherford is the Richland County Corner. And so right now, I just want to take the opportunity just to welcome you to the show Nada, I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day, your busy life, your mother, corner. Um, man, you, you're so many. You're so many things. So many um, things. You do a, yeah, you do a lot in the community. I mean, I'm going to allow you to break some of those things down as to what you do, but I thank you, thank you for not finding it robbery to spend some time with me today just to talk about what you do. So I thank you. So at this point, I want to turn it over to you, Nada, and I want you to tell the listeners who you are. Well, thank you so much, Kyra, for having me on the show this morning. I think what you're doing is incredible. A lot of times in our community, we'll talk about issues, but we don't talk about how to process and make it through them. And so I just thank you for your bravery and your courage and sharing your story and unpacking your pressure points. Uh, so that it so that it can help be a healing and a word to to people that are listening. So thank you for what you do in our community. I am the Richland County Coroner. My name is Nada Rutherford, and with all of the titles and accolades and all the things, I'm simply a public servant. I've been a servant my entire life, and that is how I operate uh, throughout my day. I don't think about the fact that I'm a history maker or that I'm a survivor or an overcomer. I think about the fact that I serve, and that's that's my mission, that's my purpose, that's my passion in life, and I'm grateful to you to have me on your show uh, so that we can share something different with the listeners. So thank you for having me, and I'm I'm just humbled to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I love what you said. Um, <clears throat> you know, you introduced yourself as I, – I, I just love to hear it. I don't know if I can hear it one more time, and I know, and I know it's not about the bigging it up, but – you said, I am the Richland County Corner. That's so impactful. And I'm going to tell you why. When we look at the history of the Richland County Corner's office, mm-hmm. when we look at the history, um, let, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, just the fact it's, that. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and let's let's start off by let's dig a little deep. Let's start off by how long this this position in the history of it, you know, because I, I know I've, I've heard you speak about it before. Um, the first 
<laughs> you're the first actual person that has any type of medical background for this actual position. That's true. Am I there's correct? never mm-hmm. been there's never been a medical professional in Richland County. They've had a tax assessor, they've had a judge bailiff, they've had a law enforcement officer, um, they've had, you know, people affiliated with the courthouse in various ways, uh, an editor for or or someone I guess an associate editor, I think, for one of the newspapers in town. And so there's never been a medical professional. There's never been a woman, and there's never been a person of color. And so we broke through all three of those barriers uh, when Mm -hmm. we won um, in 2020. So it's certainly a historical moment, and I think certainly needed in in the light of, of what we have dealt with in terms of social injustice and understanding that systems can really impact how families receive news and how they and how they go about uh, processing what has happened to their loved ones in death. And so I certainly bring what I think is a unique perspective to this office, and I'm just grateful that the voters saw my qualifications and voted me in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, because a lot of times, and that's one of the things that I deal with and I talk about too on this show is, we have to deal with politics. We have to understand um, what these jobs that we are voting people in. We have a responsibility and an obligation to understand what position that we are putting somebody in. Um, and for me, it wasn't until I actually had to deal with the coroner's office um that I began to understand that the coroner do more than just, well, come and notify you that your loved one is deceased or that they show up on the scene when, you know, there's a death. And so in learning this and actually having to experience it firsthand, um, I realized that more people needed to know exactly what, not just that position, but all positions entail. And so I want to kind of dive into um, the portion that I, as a community person, as a person who actually had been previously constantly um, voting in the same corner over and over again, and I think a lot of times people realize, well, it's not even that they realize, but the statement is, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. But if you don't know the brokenness of it, if you haven't yes experienced it firsthand, then you wouldn't know it's broken. If you haven't done your research to understand, we as a community, we as voters have to begin to understand the power that is being handed to people, every aspect of what that position entails. And so, you know, it wasn't until my son was murdered that I found out that, hey, the coroner actually sits in when he calls a coroner's inquest. Never, ever in my Mm -hmm. life heard of a coroner's inquest. Clueless. Didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. um, In discovering this and going through this, I mean, it blew my mind. You know, I never at this, I never realized that the coroner has that type of power. And, in fact, on the show that we did last month with dealing with – dealing with the prison system, uh, the gentleman that was on on with us, Mr. Bingsley, had brought up another Mm -hmm. point that he said that 
<laughs> the only person that can arrest the sheriff is the coroner? That is true. <laughs> that is very true. There are lots of little things to this role that people would not believe. But, yes, the coroner is the only person who can arrest the sheriff. And I think that point, like, while it may seem funny, um, I think you have to look at what that means, right? So Mm -hmm. the sheriff is an elected position, just like the coroner Mm -hmm. is an elected position. But Mm -hmm. who governs the sheriff? And so if you don't have someone who's above the sheriff, how are you going to uh, how are you going to facilitate uh, arresting someone or or holding that person accountable if there's no one Mm -hmm. that can hold them accountable? And so Mm -hmm. I think it's the reason why the coroner is supposed to be independent while collaborative, Mm -hmm. but still independent of the sheriff's office. So you can't have uh, someone who has the power to arrest our sheriff and and have them be in in cahoots with them. We work collaboratively. Mm -hmm. You know, I I have a professional respect and relationship with the sheriff's office and and I will continue to do so. Um, I understand that not all people's relationships and their experience with um, our police entities in our community have been positive. I understand that there are some negative experiences that have happened, um, but I have to be able to rise above all of that and and work with everyone. And so it's it's an interesting dynamic. It really is because we all know that there are a few bad apples in every bunch, right? Whether it's right. the coroner's office, whether it's police, whether it's whomever, there's always, you know, one or two that will give the whole agency a bad name. Um, and mm-hmm. so I know that, but it is funny. People love to bring that up. They're like, do you know you can arrest the sheriff? Yes, I do. Um, but so far, there's been no reason for me to arrest him. <laughs> right. And, 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 and you know, um, and, and for me, it wasn't even, and I, it just sounds, when you hear that, it's so impactful. You're like, what? But, again, it goes back to our responsibility as voters, our responsibility, man. And and I think a lot of times we take this, our responsibility so lighthearted because we feel like, oh, it's not going to matter. Such and such, they're going to get in anyway. No, it does matter because I believe the more informed you are, the more informed you are, the more you, you're, you're, you're armed with knowledge. And that's yes. something that no one can ever take from you. When you get it in your brain, no one can't remove that knowledge from you. And so I just feel like we have to do a better job of beginning to explain again to people, man, you don't have to know everything about politics, but you do need to know who you're voting for. Um, I'll never forget my first year being able to vote, um, I was in the military. I just turned 18. In fact, I was in boot camp when it was time for us to vote. And the funny thing about that was um, I didn't know, you know, being a new voter, I didn't know that I could have had my family to have an absentee um, ballot sent to me. And so Mm -hmm. you had different females that was in that group with us that, you know, hey, their family made sure that they got that, that, that ballot out there to them, you know what I'm saying, so that they were able to vote. And so I remember our company commander saying to us, you're in the military now, and I know that some of y'all have a certain way that you vote. She said, but, this is so funny, but in order to get a raise while you're in the military, 
The Republicans always give us raises and the Democrats do not. And I'm sitting here looking like, what in the world? You know what I'm saying? Because not being 18, not even understanding this. And I think as, you know, a lot of times our parents, they do the best job that they can with teaching us, you know, how to vote. You know, my mom took me with her, you know, when I was old enough, hey, this is how you vote. But as you get older, you learn that I'm not going to vote a straight party nothing you know, or whatever your choice may be. I'm going to vote for the person that has the views that I feel that they're going to do what is needed, you know. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, because normally you would hear they think that when it's African Americans, you're always just going to vote Democratic. I think sometimes it does us a, dis, a disservice because some people feel that they don't have to work for our vote. And they feel yep. like they could just do whatever they want to do. And so yep. it keeps us in the situation to where you don't have um, families. Some families are not doing that research to find out. And I will tell you, it wasn't until I lived in Chicago that I truly understood how to vote. Because Cook County, let me tell you something, being elected official in Cook County, promise these people that you're going to do X, Y, Z and don't do it. I promise you, you won't serve another term. You out of there. I mean, <laughs> yes, they man. are to me. Yeah, they are the example of holding their representatives accountable. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they don't play. They don't play, and that's what began. You know, that's what put me in the, you know, in a position of beginning to learn who we're voting for and and learning all about that and the importance and seeing of how this person that you elect actually vote and and holding them accountable in what they do. And so, um, Nada, I applaud you for even, you know, for running, you know. So so tell us, talk to us about what, what caused you to make that decision to run for the office of corner. Well, I've always been a, a, an advocate for people who, who feel like they can't speak up for themselves or who don't understand the system enough to be able to even ask the questions that should be asked. I've been a healthcare provider for 15 years in this community, and what I saw as a nurse and a nurse practitioner was that patients who who are uh, uneducated or who feel intimidated by the system often will just take information for, for face value and they don't ask any more questions. And they're often left without the resources they need, without the education that they need, and without the help that they need and want. And so I would speak up for those patients, and it turned into this very um, – it was very small at first. It was just with my patients, and then it became, you know, systemic issues, like what are we not doing, you know, to create an, a better environment for people who come into mm-hmm. our ERs and into our hospitals and into our care systems? What are we doing in the community to promote education and prevention? Does And, and my specialty was wound and ostomy care. And so it's the grossest of the grossest of the grossest things that you can think of. But these patients were having their legs amputated or their fingers amputated or other parts of their body amputated, mm-hmm. and no one was doing advanced care for them. They weren't, they weren't even trying to do advanced modalities that would help to save this person's limb. And I know as a healthcare provider that once you amputate someone's limb, you've now disabled them in a way that is often debilitating mm-hmm. for them. And so it started there. 
it started there. And I went, when I went to nursing school, I had the experience of meeting a deputy coroner. I never knew what a coroner was. I'd never heard of that. I didn't know what that was, didn't have any idea that it was a career field. Um, I've always been interested in the human body and just the way it works and processes things. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I didn't, I didn't have an environment that fostered that dreaming and that uh, education uh, for me. And so it wasn't until much later um, in life when I had the experience of meeting a deputy coroner when I was in nursing school that I even knew what a coroner was. And so I decided that after meeting her, I was like, man, I'm going to become the coroner. And I went, you know, and I spoke to a few people about it, and people looked at me strange, like, why would you want to be the coroner? And, you know, like, why don't you just get a job there? And I said, no, I want to be the coroner. I think that I bring, I will bring a unique perspective given how I've grown up. Um, I've been poor and I've been rich. I, I've seen, I know what it's like to walk six miles and eat saltine crackers for three months. I know what it's like to, you know, have a, a $50 steak on the table in front of you. So I, felt like I would bring a very unique perspective to the office. Plus, I certainly thought that having a medical background would be very beneficial to the people that we serve. And mm-hmm. when I speak to the community, one of the things during my campaign was we've never had a medical professional. What things have been missed because people didn't know mm-hmm. that they should ask questions about that. Um, and it's not just the investigative side, like people think, oh, well, you know, if you have a career in law, you know, that should help you become the coroner. Well, we didn't have a history of that either. I think there was like one or two people who may have been uh, in law enforcement in the 173 years that this office has been established. So how do you, how do you properly assess the body? How do you look for things and explain things to families in a way that they understand So my perspective is extremely unique and my experience is unique to this office in Richland Mm -hmm. County because when someone calls and they say, well, my death certificate says cardiomegaly, and I say, do you understand what that means? Well, I looked it up on Google and it says that the heart is enlarged. Well, let me explain to you what that means. What that means is a normal human heart should not weigh more than 350 grams. Your person's heart weighs 600 grams. That's almost double the size that it should be. The heart is a muscle, and instead of it getting stronger when it when it gets bigger, like our other muscles, it actually gets weaker and floppier, and it doesn't pump effectively. So then they understand how their loved mm-hmm. one died versus someone saying, well, it's just an enlarged heart. That right. doesn't help me process what happened to my loved one, Kyra. That doesn't help me understand the disease process of what cardiomegaly is. And so now I can sit and explain to someone, hey, this is what happened. And if we don't know, like if we say we don't know, I am more than willing, and I even suggest to families, get a second opinion. This is mm-hmm. our perspective. Someone else may look at this with fresh eyes and see something totally different, and that's okay with me. I think having the humility, Kyra, to to listen more than you speak helps Mm -hmm. you be a better public servant, and that's what I I wanted to bring to the Office of Coroner, and I certainly feel like I'm doing that. Absolutely. You know, Nada, there was one thing that I remember um, when you were running, and I asked you this, this question. And 
Um, I asked you this question, and it's funny because I had the opportunity um, to ask the the corner at the time the same question, and you know there was he, he got offended, but the question that I asked was, "What will you do?" And I don't know if this is like verbatim, but it was, what will you do? Or do you think that if a person has been in a position for a long amount of time that at some point they begin to, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of what was the exact, I can't remember exactly how I asked because I wanted to try to want to say do it verbatim, but basically compromise. I said, do you think at some point that you begin to compromise the position? And I remember you saying that what would keep you from doing that is you would remember conversations that you're having with people that have, you know, that is bringing this to, to, to the forefront. And, and, and I'm bringing that up because it was something that you said in the beginning when we were talking, and I was talking about just having the power to be able to, um, you know, arrest the sheriff. And, and we're, we're, not, you know, we're not hitting on, you know, okay, well, you're looking for something to arrest the sheriff because that's not what it's about. But what I'm going to the, to the place of, it has to be, Almost, I won't say it's not difficult, but it creates, you, you have to have healthy boundaries and professional <laughs> boundaries in order to make sure that you don't put yourself in a compromising position because you understand, I mean, we all are not here to be buddy-buddy and to make friends and to do all of this stuff. We're here to do a job. You have an elected job, and people have entrusted you with a position. They trusted you with their vote. And so it means something. And I think that when it comes to politics, so many times it gets to a point to where the lines begin to blend in if you're painting. It begins to, to blend if you can't keep that straight curve. And it doesn't mean that you're not a person that want to be personable with your with your, your colleagues. It's not that. But you have to have those boundaries there in order to keep both yeah. parties safe. Right. And not only that, you have to remain objective. And so if there's mm-hmm. ever a point where I feel that I am desensitized to the needs of our community, if there's ever a point where I feel like I cannot look at things objectively, then I need to step down out of office. But I'm going to try to, I'm going to, try to be in office as long as I can, as long as the voters mm-hmm. have faith in me and, and as long as I'm doing a good job um, by what they need. And if there, there may be somebody way better than me that comes along, but until that point, until the voters decide to, to, to vote me out, then I'm going to be here and I'm going to roll as a public servant with as much humility, kindness, and compassion as humanly possible. And I will hold myself accountable if we make mistakes, and I will make sure mm-hmm. that the voters understand the things that are happening. There was no transparency in this office prior to my administration. The modernization that they started was never, you know, seen to full fruition. And so I want to make sure that we are serving the people as best as we can and trying to make things Mm -hmm. as accessible and as transparent as possible. So I agree with you. I think that sometimes people can be in office so long that they almost feel like the office belongs to them, that that they Mm -hmm. have a right to 
be there. And the reality is, is that it is a privilege to be there, and you are there at the pleasure of the voters, um, not because you're just this great, you know, person who, who deserves to be in office. you got to work for it every single time. That's right. That's right. And, and I think the one thing that I hear you say, you've said it more than once, just in this conversation here, a public servant. And I think that if you, you keep you keeping that to the forefront. And it's not by mistake or by happen or happen. You keeping that you keeping that to the forefront and that's helping to keep you accountable because you understand why you have the job and what you are here to do. And I just love the fact that um even in you being able to explain to people, well, ask them, okay, well, do you understand that? Yes, this is what the death certificate is saying, but do you understand? It makes a, a, a huge difference, you know? It, it makes a huge difference. So, you know, as you said in the beginning, too, you, you've been through, through different things in life, you know, and when we look at your your bio, you know, you talk about, how, you know, you were homeless at one point and just some of the different things that you went through. So if you would, take us on the journey of what brought you to Columbia, South Carolina. How did you get here? Well, I I got here because the friend that I was living with at the time, her mother, saw something in me and and brought me along. I was a kid that grew up as a ward of the state in the foster care system the place that I lived for 15 years of my life um, was very trauma-filled. There was lots of abuse, emotional and physical, sexual. And I turned 18. I graduated high school, and two days later, I was homeless. So I was living with friends, sleeping on couches, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life as this poor kid with no resources. I did not want to become a product of my environment. There was lots of drugs, prostitution, death, crime, and I just did not want that for my life, but I had no idea how I was going to get out. And so when my friend came to South Carolina, her mother brought me along, and she she talked to the coach at Benedict College about me. She talked me up even when I did not know how to – promote myself and I was I was really ashamed of of my situation and I was afraid to talk about what I had been through because I just you know I come from a place that like like most of us in the black community you don't talk about things that happen in your house you know what stays in your house mm-hmm. what happens in your house stays in your house um mm-hmm. you don't you don't share the trauma that you experience because that that's taboo you don't do that that's like mm-hmm. being a snitch right and so mm-hmm. I came here as a homeless teen, and I had no idea what was going to happen for my life. And the coach at Benedict College, uh, Arthur Davis, he said, do you want to go to college? And I said, respectfully, sir, people like me don't get to go to college. And so for me to now be a four-time college graduate, to have full scholarships to to, to go to school, to have a master's degree, uh, to have two bachelor's degrees. I mean, it's like, wow, how do you go from D's and F's in high school to, to these things? But the but the thing that brought me here, you know, was just someone taking a chance on me. And I think a lot of times in our life, uh, you can't choose your family. You can't choose how you were brought up. But when you mm-hmm. turn 18 and you're on your own, you have to start making some decisions for yourself. And you and I had a little pre podcast conversation where I said, you know, sometimes we create adversity in our lives. 
Um, okay. But the things I went through as a kid, they didn't, those were things I could not control. But as I got okay. older, when that opportunity was handed to me, Kyra, to go to school on a full scholarship, I could have squandered that opportunity. I could have looked that opportunity in the face and said, I'm too traumatized to mm-hmm. be successful. And no one would have blamed me, right? Like, we have this thing mm-hmm. where, we, oh, well, you know what? This baby had a hard life. But then when you're 30, can you use the same excuse? No, you can't. You no, have you to figure out. I think there's just like this very small grace period between like 18 and 19 and a half and three quarters where <laughs> where people can say, you know, like, oh, well, she had a hard life and we can't blame her for not being successful. But when you're 30 and homeless and you are waiting for someone to save you, yeah, society has a problem with you, right? You you don't mm-hmm. get the past of, oh, well, she had a hard life. You're an adult, a full-grown That's adult. Right. And for me, Kyra, my full-grown adult happened at 18, and I had to figure figure it out. And so I could have gone to school and been lazy. I could have gone to school and dropped out. I still would have been homeless and poor. So I decided to take advantage of the opportunity that my friend's mom gave to me. And that's how Mm -hmm. I came to South Carolina. I I came here because someone brought me here and gave me an opportunity. And and I stayed. Columbia is where I have found a home. It's where I have found acceptance and love. And and I'm grateful for the Columbia community, which is why it's even more full circle Mm -hmm. and, and more like humbling for me that, this community that gave me a chance is now a community that I can serve. Wow. That's beautiful. It's it's beautiful. Um it is I, I just got chills um on the last part of what you just said, man. That's um it's beautiful. It, it really is. Um just to see the whole full circle, someone believed in you. But more importantly, you believed in yourself. Because right. with all that you have been through, you believed in yourself and you made a choice. And those things, man, that's what will propel you in this life. You, it's the choices that we make. You know, we we have yep. to make we have to make wise and smart choices, and we also have to understand that we can't always be a victim. You could have been no. a victim of the circumstances, and yes, we can look at it from that way. But at what point do you make a choice and say, "I will be a victor"? You know, that's the only thing that's Absolutely. going to get you through in this life. It's, it's making that choice. It's making that choice to change. And even wanting to deal with, as you know, the other piece to pressure points um, is normally that we always deal with, you know, we want to deal with the mental health side as well because we know in, in the community that we come from, again, mental health, that's a tab- it's, it's a taboo. You know, people don't want to talk about mental health. People don't want to deal with, that fact because a lot of times people take it that it means you're crazy and it does not. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just trying to get that awareness out there. And, you know, we did a series on dealing with um, childhood trauma and I was very grateful um, at some of the phone calls that I got where people were saying, yo, I didn't realize that I was suffering from childhood trauma, you know? Um. And so I just, I commend you um, because you could have decided to be the child that just wanted to continue to um, make excuses, you know. No, it wasn't your fault, um, the things that happened to you as a child. 
really wasn't. There's nothing that you could do about that. But you decided now is the time that I can make a difference. And so um, that's awesome. It really well, thank is. You. Yeah, we gotta gotta get out of that stigma that that counseling and therapy is seen as a bad thing. I think one of the biggest lessons I've learned in my life, Tyra, with the things that I've gone through, is that you can either perpetuate the trauma of your life or you can stop it. And I just chose mm-hmm. to stop. I don't I don't want to perpetuate the the negative things that happened to me. And I think as you're trying to go through your process. You don't realize you're repeating some of the some of the behaviors. You don't realize that you're punishing yourself, and the anger mm-hmm. and things that you have inside of you is really you punishing yourself for something that someone else did to you, and not forgiving and not moving forward. Mm-hmm. You're literally punishing yourself for something that someone else did. So you have to learn to let that go so that you can move forward. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's you. You said a mouthful. That is definitely the truth. Um, so now that you are the corner, and you know you're able to make a difference in the community, um, do you have any new initiatives or anything that you're starting with the, the office of the corner? Absolutely. So my so our goal number one was to. Uh, modernize the office and to take care of the people that were there. So um, our first year in office, I took office January 5th of 2021. And so the first thing we did was start a plan to take, to take care of the staff that works there. So they were not receiving fair and equal pay. They were not a part of the, the system in the way that they should have been in terms of payment. And so we worked. It took us 11 months, but we were able to achieve that. So now our staff is paid for working on holidays. They're paid overtime pay when they have to be out on scenes for extensive periods of time. Um, they receive pay for going to trainings and keeping up with their continuing education credit hours. And so we made that happen. As a part of taking care of our team and the pay structure, uh, we also chose to modernize how they perform their jobs. And so we looked at the equipment that they had. We uh, were able to upgrade their phones and their laptops and create a charting system for them that they could do um, in a mobile way, in a more portable way, so that when they're on a scene and they're there for six hours, they can actually get Mm -hmm. their reports done versus being out there all that time and then having to come back to the office to create that report. Um, We made it more accessible to them. Um, We created some remote positions within the office so that we could have assistance for our community members that maybe could not come in to the office because I think a part of serving the community is finding innovative and creative ways to bring the community into the office um, and to provide employment opportunities that can work for some of our single moms and for some of our uh, people who may have other jobs but need a little extra income. So we were able to do that as well. The other thing that we were able to do during this first year is establish a way for our community to be able to further access the office. So we redesigned and created a more interactive website. And so uh, between funeral homes, being able to request reports and permits, community being able to access information, to request autopsy reports and toxicology reports, Mm -hmm. now those things are just 
filling out a form, submitting it, and then we can either mail the form or email the form back to uh, those persons. So we have definitely done a lot to modernize the office, and we're working on some even bigger things for 2022. Great, great, great. Definitely you got in there, you hit the ground running. Um, You saw the need for different things. And that says a lot about being a leader. You know, even making sure that you're taking care because it makes no sense to be on the scene for six hours. You're tired. Um, Mm -hmm. Just the impact of what you're seeing and what you're dealing with and, um, you know, the family members or the loved ones that, you know, are there on scene just processing all of that stuff. And then from there, after being out there six hours, now you have to come back to the office and now create a report. Yeah, yes. that, that's not taking care of your people. Um, and so I'm glad that you, you saw those things. You were able to see and to get in there and to make a difference and even to allow them, allow the team to give input. I mean, I know that had to be huge because that's what leaders do, you know. Um, it, it, it makes a it makes a huge difference. Let me ask you this question. Um, do you do anything as far as because you guys are seeing a lot, you're being exposed to a lot, things that has to leave a footprint of some type of trauma. So in the office, and this was one of the things that we discussed last month when we talked about how um, with the prison system and dealing with the different COs, you know, um, and just the parole officers, it's like if you admit any of, well, hey, I may need some mental counseling, which everyone does regardless of what your job is, man, you 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 need it. But being in situations to where it could cause triggers, traumas, um, it should not be looked upon as being a sign of weakness. Because here's the right. thing, you want people to be able to do their job, but you you want them to also to be able to be functional in their job, you know. Um, have y'all implemented or do y'all have anything in place to where um, the employees would maybe? Well, I won't. I don't want to use the word that they have to. That you're forcing them to go to some type of counseling. But do you guys have anything to where you kind of encourage them to hey take some time to to see a counselor, a mental health counselor? Yes, so this was a part of that taking care of our team initiative when we first got into office. So, um, one, when you're sitting down writing reports, it can be a very sedentary thing, and so you can sit for hours hunched over a computer writing reports. So we took an area of the office that was very um, that had a very low utilization rate, and we made it into a gym. So there's a treadmill. Um, if you know anybody who would like to donate a Peloton bike to us, let us know. Um, but we we don't we <laughs> received a lot of donations for like weights and different equipment, and so we arranged all of that. We created, we bought you know jump ropes and hula hoops and um, and free weights, and we decorated the room and we made we created an environment where people could um, work out any physical stress that they were going through. For people that can't that don't deal with um, with mental stress. Um, in the way where they they need to get out something physically, we created a mental uh, a mental health and wellness room in the back. We call it our Zen room, and that room has mm-hmm. you know it's got a beautiful beach scenery. Uh, there's chairs in there. There are yoga mats. 
Um, it has a little uh, water fountain that plays this beautiful mm-hmm. little water sound as it cascades mm-hmm. down the rocks. Um, there's low lighting so that because sometimes you're so stimulated by what you're seeing, you need to decrease that stimulation. And so Absolutely. it's a very serene room. Um, and when we are able to raise more money through our uh, Corners Campus Foundation, then we will hopefully be able to provide, you know, massages for our staff and um, and have someone come in to do some yoga or breathing exercises with them, Pilates and, and meditation exercises. So we are trying our best to provide opportunities for our team to be able to release stress while they're on the mm-hmm. clock. And through the um, through the county through Richland County through Richland County, sorry, um, they mm-hmm. have some they have six free sessions that they can utilize per year with a licensed um, mental health professional. So there okay. are certainly things in place. And when we came into office, we set up a call for them. Um, and some people chose to take part, and some people didn't. And again, how people deal with stress is their own mm-hmm. private matter. So we give Mm -hmm. them the space to be able to do that. And then we really promote every meeting that we have. We promote, have you taken PTO? Have you taken a mental health day? Do you need a mental health day? What things can we do to facilitate a more positive working environment? Like we have a young lady that Mm -hmm. works with us who's diabetic. And she said, could you guys please not leave candy around the office? Because when I'm here, you know, I just tend to eat it because it's there. So now we try to have healthier snacks that we leave around the office. So just little things to try to mm-hmm. help our staff. Um, we provide them with lunch sometimes. So just little things that we do right. to try to let them know that they are appreciated, that they're loved. Um, we had a Christmas party. It was the first time that they'd ever had a Christmas party and appreciation uh, dinner for them around Christmas time. And, again, the community came together to show them how valued and appreciated they are. So we do do things. Um, we can't force anyone to do anything. But if we notice that right. someone is lacking or slacking in their work, then we have a conversation. Hey, what's going on? How are you? Mm-hmm. Are things okay? Um, we need them to do their job, though, right? So if they need time right. off, we encourage them to take it because I want Absolutely. excellence and I want their best every day because no family deserves to have someone who's tired, burnout, worn out, working mm-hmm. on their case because it could it could really impact how that family um, is 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 dealt with through our office, and we want Ooh. them to have the best experience possible. Yes, 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 yes. And I, I thank you for that um, and just creating that type of space. Um, because I can't say that my experience with the Office of the Corner was good at all. It was not. Um, mm-hmm. But I will before say my this. Time. Make sure you preface that. Make sure you say oh, yeah, it was my before, time. Absolutely. It was before your time, before your time, before your time. And that's why I was definitely so adamant about when, hey, <laughs> You know, being able to ask you some questions, man, it was just, it was really great and awesome, man, to, um, and to make sure that I took a productive role in explaining the office of the corner to other people, you know, letting them know, hey, this this is some of the other things that the office of the corner does, you know, so, um, again, just truly grateful. But, hey, you mentioned about a Peloton. Well, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to reach out. Now, I can't donate a Peloton. I mean, I have one. I can't donate mine. But I am going to <laughs> I'm going to reach out to Peloton. Um, I see, did. Um, I did. We could get one. You did? 
I did, and they said that they weren't providing uh, free bikes, but that maybe we could get some community partners to help us. So that's one of our initiatives this year to fundraise to try to have better workout equipment for our <laughs> team. Mm-hmm. Um, so that they can, so that we can promote health and wellness and exercise and de-stressing while at work, um, it's important mm-hmm. important for them to to have that space. Well, guess what? I'm still gonna reach out. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you never know. We may get somebody different. May get somebody else that may say, "Hey, you know what? Hey, you may even find one of the instructors that'll be like, you know what? I can donate a bike. You just never know. So we'll see." I love it. Huh? Thank you so Yeah. Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, hey, nothing beats a failure but a try, so we'll see. There you we'll go. See. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely, um, I've just enjoyed talking with you, having this conversation. Um I just, I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm happy that you are in this place, Um and I'm just looking forward to seeing all of the great things, um, changes that you're making in the office and just really looking forward to seeing the impact because you're already making an impact, right? But just to see how much more of an impact that you will bring to this community. And you know what? I will have to say this too. Thank you for not giving up on the community. You know, because you came here, and even though the community embraced you, but you didn't give up either. You know, no, I didn't. Um, and a lot of people receive, but don't know how to give back. And that that is mm-hmm. that is true for a lot of people who've made it out of a tough mm-hmm. situation. They don't they don't come back. And this community brought me up. I mean, they raised me, and so mm-hmm. I am going to give back. I'm I'm originally from Florida. Um, I didn't grow up here. I didn't go to high school here. I'm not a native of South Carolina, but this is Mm -hmm. the place that is my home, and I'm going to take care of home. And more, I I just wish more people would would do would do that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. That's man. This this is great. This this has been a great conversation. Um, And Ada, I know you you you're a full time mom as well, so. Um, balancing, you know, yeah, balancing life, um, you know, I mean, because you, you have a, a major responsibility in this role. The office of the corner is a major responsibility. Um, and you still have to be a responsible mother as well. So, again, I commend you, and I just thank you for taking this time. So um, I want to give you um, a couple of minutes to maybe say whatever you want to say to the listeners as well as, you know, telling them how they could reach you if they have a, a question, um, okay. if there's an issue, you know, anything. So this is your okay. time. Well, thank you so much, Kyra. <laughs> Again, I want to say thank you. I'm truly humbled and honored that you would have me on as your guest on this very important uh, show that you're doing. So thank you again for that um, and for all of the people behind the scenes who helped to make this show possible. Thank you uh, because it's a needed conversation. For those that want to reach me, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Nada Rutherford, and that is N-A-I-D-A. R-U-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D at Nada Rutherford on Instagram, Facebook. I think I do have a Twitter, but I never use it. Um, And if you'd like to follow what the Richmond County Coroner's Office is doing, you can follow us at R-C-C-O-S-C on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. 
Uh, you can visit rccosc.com to keep abreast of the events and the different things that we're doing at the coroner's office. If someone has a question, maybe your loved one died and, and you never got the answers that you wanted. Uh, we look at cases for you um, that happen in Richland County. I don't look at cases from other counties because that, you know, I can't speak to how they do things, but I can help you if you don't understand how someone died. If you have a word or terminology on a death certificate or in a report that you don't understand, I certainly don't mind uh, helping to explain that if if someone needs that. So thank you again, Tyra, uh, Kyra, I'm sorry for having me. <laughs> and I really appreciate you. See, I think you're a model. That's why I called you Tyra. But I think you're such a role model for uh, for women and for community members who've experienced adversity and turned it into something positive. So thank you again for having me. Thank you again to all of the folks that helped to make this show possible. Um, and thank you to the community for voting me into office. I hope that I make you proud every single day. Thank you. No, that's right. And it is Tyra. I was Tyra before Tyra Banks. I'm older than her. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I think you may have been combining maybe my first in 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 in, in middle name. Maybe that's 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 I what's love happening. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um man again I, I thank you so much. Um I'm proud of you. Um thank and you. hey, as long as you continue to do what you're doing, um, which I feel confident that you will, you definitely have my vote. So, um yeah. Nada, thank you. Thank you for letting everybody know um, how they can get in contact with you if they have any questions. And I ask all the listeners, meet us back here on the following Tuesday because we will continue the series of for women, celebrating women, um, Women's History Month, and we will continue to celebrate with our series, The Queendom. Thank you, and I will see you all next Tuesday. This is Tyra Little. I'm your host of Pressure Points Unpacked. It's already done.